Welcome to CBuzz, the Columbus Chamber of Commerce's award-winning podcast and also Columbus's very first business-focused podcast. Our show was presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. I'm Michaela Hunt, brand journalist and your host for CBuzz, where we bring you unique and impactful stories directly from leaders right here in our Central Ohio business community. We are producing this episode inside our home at Capital University's Convergent Media Center, a collaborative space for students and faculty to study music, film, creative writing, and digital media. We're excited to have you along to hear some great stories through this platform. Today, we're sitting down with Andrew Kingery, founder and CEO of the Whitestone Consulting Group. The Whitestone Consulting Group helps clients overcome their greatest challenges in leadership, sales, branding, and innovation. Andrew, glad to have you here. This is a great set of subject matter, so really interested in talking to you today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So first of all, tell us how the idea for the Whitestone Consulting Group came about. Sure, sure. Um, where should I start? I, I would say, um, all of, since I was probably 14, when I was 14, my dad sat me down on a chair in a living room and said, what do you want to do when you get older? And I looked at him and I'm like, I have no idea. What are you doing to me, dude? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. At the time he had a woodworking shop and, um, they made a lot of interiors for restaurants and things like that. And so I saw what he was doing. And I said, well, I just would like to have my own company someday. And he said, well, if you're going to do that, can I make a recommendation? He said, I would go into finance or accounting. And I'm like, okay, why is that? And he said, because I can make teams happy. I can make customers happy. Products are working really well. Machinery is running great. But the accountant comes to me and says, you know, it's not working. So go into accounting. So, okay, I went into accounting. So I kind of knew I wanted my own business all along, but I didn't know where or why. So after spending many years in corporate America, more than I probably should be admitting on the air here, um, I started to realize that um, a lot of the time that really made me thrive was when I was working on a project where there was a lot of change that came through and created a lot of value for the people and the company. And there was a time as a, for example, when I was growing up uh, working on leading a small team and uh, we were in a in a big moment of change. There, this was when a time when shopper marketing was really growing in consumer products. And I, we had hired a consultant to come in who, to this day, I really respect, and they were a lot of inspiration for me. And they came in and did it one project with us. And I sat back and reflected on the value of that project and thought, gosh, our whole team could have just taken the year off and did that one project. And the value that we created was so much more than if we would have just been working eight hours a week, every week. And I was like, that's the kind of change that just really, it's, it's so exciting and, and you're just like, wow, like it was amazing. And so I just knew that I always wanted to be part of change and I know that change is like, I'm kind of addicted to change, um, probably to a fault sometimes. Um, so when I was in corporate and I just started to get to the point where I felt the tug of, hey, can you fix the number for the quarter? Can you fix the number for the month? When the budget or the financials becomes more important than the purpose of the organization or seemingly so through the time and the behavior of our people, that's where I kind of felt disconnected. And I really wanted to get back to, again, to the point when we were talking before we started, like, I don't want to live life to the point where I'm like, gosh, I wonder what would have happened if I would have done that. 
And so I just, and I heard, and I listened to a lot of feedback from people too, where they said, hey, you're really good at this or that. So you should probably go do that. And so like, it's better that someone else tells me than I think it myself, right? So that gave you confirmation. So that gave me confirmation that I had a gift there that I could offer. So how does a numbers guy get into these other things? I mean, because I could see how it's a value add to these other areas of leadership, branding, innovation. But I mean, there's people out here listening to this that are numbers people. Yeah. So how did you make that kind of all dovetail, if you will? Sure. Um, I, I really think that it's just how curious are you, right? If, if you're curious, it doesn't matter what the topic is. You can discover how to leverage it to create value for other people. And so I, to this day, I know some people who are still in accounting that if you didn't know they were in accounting, you'd be like, you're not an accountant, right? In fact, one of my good friends I spent a lot of time working with is that way. I mean, just naturally might not fit the prototype, but as an outstanding CFO, right? So I, I've, I guess I tried to say that it doesn't matter where you are. It just matters where you want to go and what you practice and how curious you are along that pathway. So what exactly is the group's mission right now? Sure. What do you yeah, do yeah, and yeah, what sure. is your mission? Yeah. yeah, and first I should share a little bit of the story of the brand too. Um, in the book of Revelation, there's a little tiny verse that says, to the one that overcomes, I will give a white stone. Historians have a little story on this. There are a couple stories, but I picked the one that was conveniently best here. But the story that I like best was that it was from the Roman era. And when gladiators would fight, if you won, you were given a white stone. Okay. And on one side of the stone was the na- your name and on the other side was the name of the emperor. So if you went to the grocery, you could put your white stone down and the tab would be on the emperor. If you went to a bar or a restaurant and you, you ate, you would put your white stone down and your meal would be on the emperor. So it really symbolized people going from a really difficult circumstance and overcoming it or going from one caste structure or to another. And so I, we really wanna help people do that. So working on those big changes that really create step change for an organization, those are the types of things that really get us to thrive. And so right now what we do is we spend a lot of our time working on the go-to-market era okay. or, or, or sector. I said go-to-market um, side of the business, which is around sales, marketing, and innovation. And that can, that can be from, you know, sales team development, customer development, strategy development, et cetera, all the way down to product development, uh, product delivery, pricing, positioning, branding, positioning, et cetera. So that's a little bit about where we spend our time. Then separately myself, I spend time working on some leadership development initiatives, organizational change and things like that. How did you identify that this was a business that needed to be out there for the, especially for this go to market segment? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I spent, so as someone who was learning, so I didn't grow up in the traditional marketing side of the world, right? I grew up under the finance and computer science side of the world. So as I was switching to move over, I started to notice these patterns where when people would bring product or ideas to market, we weren't focused on the behavior of your end user. Now that's either your shopper or your consumer, depending on how, or an end user, a client, a customer, however you want, depending on your sector that you're in. But so many people would be looking at something. So for example, if we want to build, if we wanted to bring new water bottles to the market 
everybody stands in the office together and says, oh my gosh, we could make it a, a water bottle that's totally recyclable. We could make one that's this size. Well, what if we made it out of stainless steel and you'd never have to, you could reuse it forever? Or what if we made it a different color of this? And everybody's focused on attributes of the product and they're kind of getting sidetracked by what I might call or what's been labeled in, in, in consulting industry, the tyranny of the tangible. Mm. Right. So as opposed to getting out with the people, who is your audience? Who are you trying to create value for? Really understanding for what will they change a behavior? Because if you look in Google search, all the patents that are out there, there are a lot of great ideas out there. I mean, some that I could never even think of, but they never make it to market because somebody's not spending time understanding or they have spent time to understand that a behavior would not change for that product. So do you feel that is one of the biggest takeaways that clients have from your services? Yes, 100%. I mean, even if, even if you don't hire us, I think it's very important for you to understand the decision science of how people choose to buy you, number one, on the client side. Number two, on the employee side, I think it's important for you to understand how people choose to choose you for employment. If people can just understand how that decision is truly being made across a good selection of people, you're, you can come away with some fantastic insights. Well, isn't that interesting in a moment in time where the competition for employees has increased so greatly? And we look at we've seen some of the numbers that we've seen in terms of sure. unemployment so low. I mean, I can imagine you've had some really good conversations. Yeah, I have. Um, couple of observations on the topic of how do we how do we attract talent and maintain talent because I know that's a, a big topic right now something I've noticed again this is anecdotal Andrew noticing I've not done massive studies on this but one key theme that emerges is that there is a class of employers who don't seem to have the same struggle hmm. tell me more and I've noticed that they tend to be the ones who lead how they care about people, and they tend to lead their category or the market in terms of how they treat their people. And I don't mean treat by, do you have a slide in your office? Do you have free breakfast every day? That's not what I'm talking about. I think our first job as organizations is to grow people. And for the organizations that are really investing in professional development of their people and taking care of the hygiene in terms of the environment, and the other, other things, I think that's what really kind of separates the leaders from the rest of the pack. Um, because as a, for example, um, I have a recent client experience um, that, a, that one of my colleagues there at the client just texted me and said they're having great results with filling some of their, their roles that typically were filling a little bit slower. Um, because we went in and we looked at the decision science around how people are choosing to buy you or choosing to choose you for employment. And so they had great results with it. But the reality is if you can do that, and that's kind of like an easy research step, right? Yeah, sure. And come in, do a very quick, easy project to understand how people are deciding to become gainfully employed at your place, choosing you among the other options available. But the reality is you're going to discover something like, ooh, we actually do need to, what is it? Uh, maybe it's remodel our office that was built you know, 50 years ago, and we've never done, touched anything with lighting or some, anything on the inside. So there are going to be actions that you have to take. And for a lot of times people, leaders, us, all of us, we're afraid to take these actions. 
it, it really boils down to that. I, I guarantee you there's something that every organization could do in their category or market sector to improve how they influence more people to come work there. But we don't want to do it. Why? Well, but our budget's only X dollars. Well, but then we'd have to change our business model because now our labor costs are higher than we had planned before. So what will our shareholders say? So again, there are options, but a lot of times, now I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback from people because they're like, it's not that easy. You're oversimplifying, Andrew, which maybe I am, but I've noticed that people who lead in this regard are people who are willing to go after some of those changes and they're willing to test and learn. What is one of your favorite Whitestone consulting success stories? Um, yeah, a personal success story that I have. Um, oh, so I, you said one of? Yeah, just, I'm can sure there are many. You can do two. Yes, All right, so, of course. So uh, one that includes the team and then one that was kind of just something that I was really working on. So the, from a team perspective, I'm really proud about how we're responsible for um, a consumer product company developing and bringing product to market. And we were recently were able to achieve um, number one new item in the category on Amazon for them. So that was a really good win for us. We're super excited about it. We did it in a very scrappy way, but um, we felt like we, we had a home run. So th I'm ex super excited about that one. The one that I really like that resonates with me a lot is I have one client who has grown through a lot of acquisitions. We had one individual that was part of the acquired companies that came into the what was then a mid-level uh, regional vice president group. And everybody was like, all right. The, so the C-suite was like, all right, does this person fit? I don't know. Is this the right person? What do we do with this new person? We worked together to the credit of one of the uh, two of the C-suite officers. And after, I don't know, let's call it, we worked together and then they put their action plans in place. That person became the first one promoted to SVP. So those are the types of things that I really like to work on because, you know, I, I want to work on those things where people are going to look back, a client's going to look back five years from now, seven years from now and say, that was a defining moment for our company and for me as a leader. Because I just, I just love pouring into the people and the clients when I'm working on the engagements. Kind of like, hey, we get to work together and grow you. Oh, by the way, we have an engagement over here too. Let me ask you about that Amazon story. Okay. Was there a key, do you think, or a couple keys to getting it, that product to number one? Sure, yeah, I mean, I would say um, it goes back to fundamentals. I would love to give you this fancy, super sexy secret sauce, but the reality is it just goes back to fundamentals. So here are a couple of them. We worked with consumers quite a bit, users, to say, for what would you change behavior? You know, is this something that you notice? Can you perceive the value in this? Would you buy this? And then let's test whether or not you would buy this. And then once we had it actually finished product, we did even more testing to confirm our claim on this, that it would be the most preferred. And just really staying close to that consumer and watching them and not, not just listening to them, not just doing a survey and stopping there, but really sitting down beside them and really with a, a deep empathy for people understanding, are they really going to realize this when they're in their homes, in their lives? Because it, it's so easy to put on paper or in a little workshop, a cute little study and research, but you've got to bring it back to the context of the lives of the people. And so that's kind of what we did. So we really 
didn't we didn't do full full blown ethnographies, but we did spend a lot of time with people in the home environment to try to understand first and foremost, you know, how or when they would use this. You know, we tested it as well to see whether or not it translates. So, you know, I would say it, it's really about the fundamentals. Stay close to the behavior of your end user or your buyer. Um, and then making sure that you have a difference in the market, a value proposition that's going to be, that's going to differentiate you from the competitors. Because in consumer markets, you, I don't believe that you should bring something to a category unless you're going to create incremental growth for your retailer, or in this case, like Amazon, right? Why do they need another widget in their categories? It needs to be a widget then that helps improve the growth of that category or the value that that category delivers for their for their shoppers. You um you you mentioned leadership earlier and facilitation and whatnot and things you do for organizations. You facilitate the Columbus Chamber of Commerce's leadership program, Elevate CBUS. I just believe I saw some people who are participating in that recently. So please explain to our listeners a little more about this program and, and the role you're really playing in it. Sure. So Elevate CBUS was was created to the credit of Don DePero, Lori Holt, uh, Taylor Exner and Ashley uh, Bernance, which I believe her last name has changed. She's since moved on. Taylor has since moved on. Um, but the, the premise behind the program was how do, how do we as a platform at the chamber create more value for our members? So, so Taylor and Ashley and Lori and I kind of worked together and we said, it goes back to behavior, right? So we went back to people and to focus groups to say, what are you really missing at work that the chamber could provide for? What, what is it? And what's most important? Sure, when you ask people what do they want, we will all say, I'll take the sun, just two stars, maybe the moon too. <laughs> While you're at it, maybe just yeah, go ahead and throw in a comment or two, right? We ask big, right? But the key is not just for what, what do we really want, but what are we trying to do at work? So what priorities do the organizations have that the chamber was serving? Which ones do they felt like they still had gaps on? And they came back with, hey, if you could do something on professional development, we feel like that could be a big value add for us. So what do you teach the folks? So, yeah, so we designed this program. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like uh, the, the, the L&D designer, right? The, the design lead as well as the facilitator, but certainly do it with a lot of feedback from folks and we evolve it as we go. But... We teach, uh, I, would, I would go back to the word fundamentals again. This is really around business fundamentals of how do you improve productivity and value creation at work. Um, so we're going to go back to emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah. We're going to spend a lot of time on that one. So we talk about, a, I, and I define, I subscribe to the Daniel Goleman model of intelligent, emotional intelligence, which is generically, it's, you know, deep understanding of yourself or understanding of yourself. And then do you understand how people perceive you? And then three, can you manage the perception of other people? Um, so that, that's really what we're working on. So we did the first class, we worked on a deeper understanding of ourselves. We use a psychometric called Luminous Spark, um, which I've used for many years. I really like that one because it is not a, doesn't typecast you. Um, it just shows qualities and these traits that you have. And it's also very, it's not as academic as some of the other ones. So it's easier to read, and easier for us to apply. Then we're going to spend time on uh, feedback loops. So giving feedback, receiving feedback. You know, I look at culture and organizations and I think the, I will be willing, I'm willing to say that the largest single factor that contributes to negative productivity or bad productivity or bad culture 
is unresolved or poorly resolved conflict. Mm. I think, and I think all of us probably have experienced that at some point in time. Yeah. I mean, think about what happens when you know that there's somebody has this beef with you or you with them. And you know what happens when you pass in the hall and you don't want to make eye contact well, you're surely not going to want to go to a meeting and be forthcoming and work together well, right? And, and have a result that comes exactly. out of it that you're both proud about. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 So we're going to spend a lot of time on feedback. Um, also building your network. I believe that your network is your net worth, so to speak. I love right? that. Your network is your net worth. Yeah. And, and so many people, self-included, like my job is to pour into people the mistakes and pitfalls that I made so that you can be a better version of me. And so what we really spend time on is like, get started on your networking. Like part of the class is you sit down right now with your laptops open and you're searching in Columbus, like where you could go to tag somebody to be a mentor for you or tag somebody to go meet and have coffee with outside of your industry. I've had amazing stories from the class. They have reached out to executives far and wide in central Ohio and the executives deliver. They will come back and say, well, sure. You know, I, I'm, or I'm, I don't have time this quarter or this, this half, but I will maybe next year come back to me. And whenever I hear people come back with a name that really excites them, I, that gets me really excited, <laughs> right? So we do some of that. Um, I also focus on basic fundamentals such as running a meeting. Like, how do you start a meeting? How do you close a meeting? I mean, those are, it, they sound so like, oh, it's like, Andrew, it's so simple, but yet, so a few of us are practicing these fundamentals. Have been taught it in the first place, right? Or that. Yeah, yes, we've been elevated that. into yeah. positions where that wasn't part of our formal training, if That's you right. will. That's right. So, you know, as the founder and CEO of Whitestone Consulting Group, how do you balance and maintain this very active professional life along with your personal and community commitments as well? Yeah, I, I think um, probably two things come to mind for that. Um, number one, learn to say no. And I was the worst offender of this, worst offender of this, um, spread too thin, saying yes to too many community things, blah, blah, blah. Now I kind of wear it as a badge of honor that I can actually say no to something um, and know that it's for the best of everyone. And there's a way to say it, And there's right? a way to say no. That's exactly right. I still love you, but <laughs> I don't think we're going to get the best results for you or me if I do that right now because of my current commitment level kind of thing. And then I would say, let's see. So the, the next thing was probably, so the first thing is, you know, being able to prioritize effectively and say no and don't get yourself spread too thin um, or get emotionally overstretched by the demands that come to you. Then the second thing is really around, I know this is so cliche to say, but if you love your love what you do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. I mean, and my clients know that too. I mean, my clients have gotten to the point where they say, all right, Andrew, I don't want to be coached, right? Like, stop, <laughs> don't, don't coach me. Or, you know, I'll hear my clients say, I'm going to share something with you. And I know you're going to try to analyze it and give me some solutions, but you don't need to you do that. You don't have right? to. Don't do it. Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I think it's just naturally who I am as well, or who I've chosen to become so that I can leverage the gifts that I've been given to create the most value for the people around me. So I, I think because it's so well aligned to who I am, it just makes, I mean, like, Showing up tonight is just so much fun. It's so easy. I just it, It's not just easy. It's energizing, right? It just gives you energy. I'm glad you didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it that way. I'm glad you didn't say no. Um, 
what advice do you have for our listeners about building their own personal network? You were kind of alluding to some of that in what you teach inside the Chambers Leadership Program, but is there anything else specific that you would give advice on this evening? Sure. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I, I think as we think about networking, we're typically thinking about climbing the experience ladder, like, like it's great. We all, it's probably easier to have your own peer group where it's people, my age, my experience level, et cetera. My encouragement is to get above that and outside of that. So find people that are not in your industry, find people who are more experienced than you. And now with that comes this fear, intimidation, like, uh, if I call Michaela, and I'm going to ask her, like, would you have coffee with me? You don't even know me. You don't care about me. Like, like, why would you want to invest time with me? Right? It's just so easy for us to do. You're so busy. You've got all of this stuff going on. The reality is, for those of us who have gone on or do have more experience, that's one of the, thing, one of the things we want. We want to give back to the, other, the next generation. We want other people to grow. We want to spend time who are curious. We want to spend time who want to learn. Because if you're leading in an organization, you know you're leading a lot of people who don't want to learn. <laughs> so it's, it's really like getting people to understand that and then go start. Got it. Go start. Just start asking. What's the worst thing that somebody could say? No. And then they might tell you next quarter. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So look at so, it that way. So I want to encourage everybody to really get out there. I mean, Elevate Seabus was created with the intent of elevating Columbus. That's what that name means. We believe that if we elevate our people, that is what's going to elevate Columbus. And that's what we're trying to do. We want to create a, a culture here in Columbus that just that people just say, wow, this is really special. And so, and so I think to do that, we're going to have to have our people have the courage and the vulnerability to pick up the phone, to send an email, to send a LinkedIn chat, to say, hey, you don't know me, but I watch you. I see you. Would you spend time with me to help share some advice on how I could grow as a professional? I want to challenge every leader out there in central Ohio to say yes to one or two people in doing that. And I think if we do that, oh, I just, I, that, I, get, I get excited about that because I know that will help us grow. The power of the collective. That's right. Doing that's something. A right. um, couple other questions for you. What is the future for Whitestone and how can the business community get more involved? Sure. Um, we're continuing to, I'm, I'm fit working on a book right now around value creation. If I could get myself, the, 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 the pandemic really put a hurt on my inspiration because I'm a people person. So... Um, you know, I think the pandemic was a lot harder on me than I'm probably willing to admit. Um, so I finally getting kind of back to that. So we're really going to start leaning more into a value creation model and rolling that out in a more standardized, formalized, uh, way. Cause we do bake that into everything that we do. Um, so I'm excited to keep, um, moving the dialogue forward on that. Um, and outside of that, it's really just, you know, we're, we're really looking for organizations that are open to people helping. Because you know, the reality is success is the biggest impediment to change. Like if you're doing really well and you're hitting your numbers and your incentive comp numbers are great, the reality of you looking outside or saying, yeah, we need, we need to ask somebody for help is slim to none. So, you know, really, I, I'm, we kind of come in where people are saying, I'm curious. I'm really curious. Like, what are we missing? Is there something out there that we could do differently? 
And, you know, just in doing so, we're just going to help them become more laser focused, more intentional and deliberate on value creation for their clients and for their employees. What's influencing you lately? Podcast, book, show, anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I am currently reading the book Ministry for the Future, uh, which is, it, it's, a, it's a frame on the climate change. And, you know, it's like, it, it kind of goes back to, we don't change unless we need to. And so that's framed into, a, you know, a massive climate event happens. And then a lot of politics and um, people dynamics are in, woven into this as well. So that's a lot of fun. Before that, I really enjoyed and was blown away by Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a story. It's, it's a movie now, isn't it? It, it? Might, it's worth it. it. It's worth it as a movie. I feel like I just saw it somewhere. It's um, So Killers of the Flower Moon is really around the Osage Indians um, and how the white man comes in and says, oh, we want Kansas. You know, we're going to push you a little bit to the West and conveniently, you know, just really just, you know, and I, sh I shouldn't use white man in general, but, you know, a constituency of people who were white came in and, you know, they're very, you know, I don't know what taking things from people and not respectful. Maybe I, I don't know the whole situation. So, I, you know, I have to be careful, but push people into Oklahoma and then lo and behold, we find oil uh, in Oklahoma. Yeah. And so the Osage Indians essentially overnight become like the most wealthiest constituency in the U.S. Well, guess what happens when people get really wealthy and people get jealous? So people started, I mean, the stories in there are just incredible about how these people were um, fought against or plundered, so to speak, and what the, the evil that crept in. And that was what really started the need for an over, overall federal oversight investigative team which we now know as the FBI. Huh. Um, they came in and they, they with a ragtag team, they kind of solved for some of these crimes that were happening and kind of unpacked it and peeled back the onion and the ugly layers that were underneath. So it, was, it, just, it just blew me away. Like, you know, you read history in class and it's just so conveniently written and, you know, you, you take your tidy little test <laughs> and then you move on and then you grow up and you realize you know, there's probably a lot more to that story than we ever learned in class. And so for me, that was, that was a powerful story. Well, thank you for spending time with us. The time goes so quickly, especially when we get to talk to someone like you. So I appreciate you. Um, for those of you listening and you want to learn more about all of Andrew's endeavors, Andrew, what's your website? Sure. Yeah. Go to wscg.consulting. Okay. wscg.consulting. And if you guys enjoyed today's episode, be sure to let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening. Your reviews help people find our show and hear these community stories. We read your feedback and we value your ideas as we plan future episodes. CBuzz is proudly produced in collaboration with Capital University. We want to say a special thank you to their students, faculty, and staff for helping bring this program to life. Once again, I'm Michaela Hunt, your host for CBuzz. We'll talk to you soon.